The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zinn 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts My name is Brian Whittle, and I was the boom operator and sometimes sound mixer and one-time actor on The Office. Well, hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us once again here at The Office Deep Dive. As always, I am your host, Brian Baumgartner. This week's guest, this is, this is cool. Okay. One, he's the greatest. All right. In fact, he is so great that the writers on The Office actually named a character after him. Do you remember the boom operator in season nine? That guy, the one who almost broke up, Jim and Pam? Yep. That's our guy. Well, that's our guy's name. Today's guest is Brian Whittle. Now, to be fair, although the real Brian was also the boom operator for The Office, he did anything but cause any workplace drama. No, Brian is a gem, and he's known as one of the best in the business. He did an impossible thing for many. He mastered the art of mockumentary sound, dealing with 
the long takes on The Office, dodging crazy camera angles, and he participated in the many sound-on, sound-off debates on set. Now, boom operators are known for their ability to soak up all of the stories. Remember, they're hearing everything. And you guys, Brian is not one to disappoint. Today, he is here to talk about the art of leaning into imperfection. Steve Carell's silent airport goodbye. And, well, of course, his notorious namesake on the show, Brian Whittle. This really is a special one. I won't keep you waiting, as our resident sound guy, Brian, has done enough of that over the years. So please give a warm welcome to the incredible Brian Whittle. Bubble and squeak, I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. Bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning. Left over from the night before. Hello. <laughs> there he is. Check, 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 check. How do I sound? Five, four, three, two, one. You sound great and exactly the same as always. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, how are you? Good, good. How are you doing, Brian? Oh my gosh. It's so good to see you. It's great to we see you. We spent a lot too. of time in tight quarters together. We really, really did. How's everybody? You're surviving. You're good, healthy. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing really well. Uh, my kids, they're right down the hall. They promise to be quiet. <laughs> they pro so, oh, they uh, promise to be quiet. They understand <laughs> the importance of sound. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So uh, things are going well. Things are going really well. I'm so happy to talk to you. There's, well, I mean, there was eventually a very important character on The Office named after you. We'll talk about that. How did you get into sound? What was your journey for, for getting into sound? My journey for getting into sound was basically, well, I moved here with the idea that I think a lot of people think that they're going to be Steven Spielberg. Okay. But I was a, a little too irresponsible to follow that path. So <laughs> I uh, <laughs> so I ended up doing sound, which was actually still uh, really awesome. And basically, I came here, I had a friend named Jeff Haley, who is now a very famous Steadicam operator. Uh, who was doing sound, the person I actually grew up with back in Pennsylvania. And he was doing sound, so he helped me get into it. I got on this movie called um, Ed with uh, Matt LeBlanc from Friends. Okay. And uh, it's from back in the mid-90s. And that movie was a non-union movie that then struck and turned union. And so I got very lucky. and got in the union right away. Uh, and then shortly after that, I met Ben Patrick, who was Jeff's friend. He was just starting out too doing sound, but he was already a mixer, and he uh, he we did a, we did a bunch of really low budget, really horrible, awful hundred dollar a day you know crap <laughs> movies for a couple of years. But I was already in the union, and I just didn't know anybody uh, in the right. union. Back then, there were still a lot of non union movies you could do. Uh, nowadays, that isn't the case anymore. But, uh, you know, I just made phone calls and met more people and uh, eventually met a guy named Forrest Williams, who was doing a lot of spelling projects. And so I got on those and I basically did spelling shows, Melrose Place, 90210, 
Oh, not spelling bees. Aaron right. spelling Aaron shows. Spelling, yeah. Oh, I did oh, a bunch yes. of his shows. Oh, just um, that guy. Yeah, yeah, just him. And, uh, and I did a bunch of his shows until about until basically up until I got on the office, you know. And then from then on, okay. I was like, okay, half hour comedy is the way to go. Did Ben Patrick bring you onto the office? He did. He did, and uh, not until the, the very beginning of the third season. He tried to during the second season. But during the second season, and you probably remember this, they didn't have a full order for the whole show. Right. They would say like, That's oh, right. we're going to do two episodes. Oh, ooh, we got three more. Oh, we got two more. <laughs> and, I, and he kept, kept calling me. He's like, come over, come over, come over. Because they kept, the boom operators kept quitting on the office. Right. Because it was so hard, you know, because you would do like 40 and 50 minute takes. That's, right. that's a long time to put your arms up right. or to be crammed in a corner or to be, you know, hiding under something or, you know, contorting your body in these weird positions. But they just didn't have a full order. But then when the third season came around, they had a full order and they gave me a great offer. And The Office at the time was my favorite show. So to get a call to go work on your favorite show for uh, a full season for a really good rate, I was like, hell yeah, I'm on my way. So you were a fan of the show. Absolutely. You watched the first. I watched yeah. it before I worked on it. Yeah. So him calling, you were like, let's go. So what was it like showing up there then for the first time on a show that you were a fan of? And it sounds like you had done mostly drama stuff before. If mostly... you want to call spelling drama. Yeah. Uh, so nighttime soap <laughs> okay. operas, which were boring so- as hell. Soapy to work drama. On. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was my main bread and butter up until then, which was still fun. But this I knew it was going to be way more fun. And also it was with Ben, who was one of my closest friends. Right. So, yeah, I remember I, I, I was very excited. And uh, it was uh, Gay Witch Hunt. It was the first episode of season three. Wow. Which to this day is probably my favorite episode. And okay. uh, it was incredible, you know, because you get to see it's like when you watch a show and you're a fan of it and then you go visit the set and you see the set. And you see that that line, you know, between your experience of just being a fan and now suddenly you're like, you know, behind the curtain and seeing how it all gets put together. So it was great. And uh, I was ecstatic to be there. So you you were hired at the beginning of season three. Did you note anything right away about the set and how your job might be a little more challenging on this show than something before? No, I mean, the only thing I thought would be more challenging is just the way it was shot, you know, with two handheld cameras and just with constant resetting of each scene that we're doing. We run through it, reset, run through it, reset. And if you remember, we shot on tape. You know, we had these Sony 900s where you actually put like a videotape inside the thing. And I believe they were (laughs) 54 minutes long. So that was probably the scariest thing to me was like, Oh my God, we might roll for 54 minutes. <laughs> you know, I was like, no wonder I'm the sixth boom operator in two seasons. So I was like, I hope I can do this. Now, do you, did you have to do anything like work out? Kind of. Yeah. I, I started like doing me doing more push-ups and going to the gym, which I already did, but I just, you know, kind of did it more. And I never thought of like my job as being something I had to keep in shape for uh, until I got to the office, you know, but the thing was, it was so much fun that you just didn't feel the pain until afterwards, <laughs> you know? Right. So to tell people your job as the boom operator, talk people through what that would mean. Like we're in the conference room. Okay. 
physically what describe okay. what, what that would be like. The conference room is a unique uh, situation, which I'm sure everyone you've talked to so far has uh, attested to. But basically, Nick would be there too, Nick Carbone, who was the other boom operator and the person who put everybody's mics on. So he would generally get whoever's seated, you know, so we'd both be back on the right side wall. And I would usually be in the, I'd be in the middle of the room along one of the windows and I'd be reaching out for Steve usually or whoever was addressing the crowd. And I'd usually get him and then whoever sat towards the front, which was usually Dwight, who sat over by the door kind of. Right. And then whoever else would come in out of the door. So I would be reaching out and getting all those people. And then Nick would be uh, back at the other other side. But I have to cram against the wall. Yeah. So he's showing me. So he's got both hands above his head. He is holding this mic, which is is not particularly heavy. It's made to try to be as light as possible. Yeah. But most shows, you have about, I don't know, 45 minutes of lighting set up. True. And then you shoot for about 10 minutes. Right. And we always joked that our show was the reverse, right? <laughs> they would Definitely. set up for 10 minutes try not to make the lighting all that beautiful. And then we would shoot for 45 minutes. Yeah. So you over the course of the day are, I don't know, 12 to 14 times doing 30 to 45 minute runs yeah. with both of your hands above your head. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was uh, really challenging to say the least. Um, what a lot of people have talked about is how confined the space is mm -hmm. much more confined than a normal show. Obviously, on a lot of shows, there are walls that you can move. Right. From our initial pilot show, which was a room that could not be moved because right. it was actually production offices. Right. It was a real room. When we moved to the soundstage, it was completely reconstructed exactly the same way, except I think Greg allowed like 18 inches in the conference yeah. room. It was something like 18 inches wider. Just enough room for someone to stand off to the side, yes. a camera or a boom. Yes. Yeah. But we were all in there in a very small space, especially when we had 14, 16 cast members or whatever right. in the room. The two of you, two cameras. I mean, very, very confined space. Yeah, especially in that room. Or if we had, say, a lot of people in Steve's office for example, right? you know, that would be even more confined or back in like a corner of the annex or in the break room where sometimes I would have to lay up on top of those vending machines that are in it. Oh, that's right. There's scenes where I would lay up there and boom from up there from just laying on my side on like a ferny pad or something, or I would at least be tucked in the corner standing on an apple box with that. And it's full extension and I, right. I can't, I have no weight behind me to leverage or anything. So it's really you know, it's like tipping you over. Yeah. The other thing that it's become kind of my go-to joke on set, the camera takes forever to get set, the lighting. And anytime there's a lighting adjustment or like a camera adjustment, it's totally okay. It's totally appropriate. <laughs> Everybody stops respectfully and they do we their work. <laughs> when something happens with sound... To the end of the world. It's like immediately everyone gets so angry I and know. frustrated. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like if you, oh, look, we need to make an adjustment on oh, Steve's tie. Atrocity. Everyone's like, <laughs> oh, God. 
Yeah, I know. It, uh, I don't know where that came from or why it is that way, but it is that way. <laughs> it's universal. Yeah, every set. It's universal across all shows yeah. of all time. <laughs> How does that make you feel? Is it aggravating? Oh, yeah. It used to make me mad, you know, and used to make me, I don't know, hurt my feelings or whatever. And I'm like, hey, this is just as important as everything. We can't shoot unless we do this. So it's it's, it's important. But uh Nowadays, it's just, it's just funny, you know, and, you know, I've been doing this yeah. a long time. And so you just tell them, Hey, look, we got to fix it. Do you want, do you want the sound or not? <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, that, as you know, that has become my, my joke now on set, yeah. which I just try to exaggerate it because it makes me laugh. I'll just yeah. go, ah, waiting on sound, yeah. waiting on sound, we, everybody. You remember we used to say uh, that you're getting carboned because of Nick. Because <laughs> yes. he would have to come in and fix the people's mics and we'd be like, ah, we're getting carboned. <laughs> yes, we're getting carboned. And yeah, yeah he, it always made him very nervous. He did not <laughs> like that particular aspect right. of the job. I know. <laughs> Bean Dad, the dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. 
Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, in terms of the working environment, being a fan of the show coming on, did you have any other impressions of, I don't know, other people that you were working with, Greg, or or the cast specifically? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, there was a lot of things that were awesome about working on that show. And I mean, it's hard to t- honestly talk about that show without getting emotional because it was such a incredible, just amazing experience. And I think one real big thing is that everybody who worked there was a fan of the show. Everybody who was there loved the show and cheered and rooted for the show and wanted it to be successful. And we all looked forward to Thursday, you know, at eight o'clock. That's when it was on, right? Eight o'clock. Back then when you watched TV, when it was on, you know, everybody looked forward to it being on. And I can remember that website, Office Tally. Office Tally, that's right. Yeah. So on Thursday nights at like five o'clock, it's eight o'clock back east, but we were all on set. And we would all start checking our phones and going on because all those computers in the bullpen were real. And you could go online, go to Office Tally and start seeing the, the comments from all the fans from all over the country. That was exciting, you know, to be part of something that that many people loved and, and cheered for. Yeah. You know, so that I'd never experienced anything like that on a show before. Right. You know, where everybody there loved it because usually half the crew hates it. Half the crew is like, I don't want to be here. It sucks. How long are we going to be here? I never felt like that on The Office ever. Wow. No matter how long the day was, no matter if, even if we were, remember towards the end, we were working on like Saturdays and I think we worked on a Sunday and I didn't care. It was so much fun that it just, you know, I didn't, it didn't bother me at all. Yeah. I think that is, I don't think you can overstate enough how, special and also unique that was because you know Mm -hmm. i say the same thing and people always sort of laugh when i say i'm a fan of the show like regardless of me or my role or any of that i shoot plenty of stuff that i don't ever watch and it's not because it's bad or because I, i don't support it or 
it's just, I always feels like weird to go back and watch because there's nothing I can do. The office was different. It was. Because just, I was a fan of the show. It was like, right. I, I, you know, even though I was there from the beginning, I just, I just loved the show. And having the crew also believe so strongly in what we were doing, um, I think made a huge difference. Yeah, no, totally. It does. It makes a, a huge difference. And I think a lot of that came from Greg because, you know, Greg really embraced the crew. And really appreciated them and saw them as a humongous part. I mean, he let people go to the table read, you know? I, I can remember going to the table reads and they'd be packed. And prior to that, the table read was like a, a secret meeting that no one was allowed to know about and, and or talk about. It was like treated like it was this big secret. Uh, but on the office, everybody went, you know? If you could fit in the room, you could go. He would even let uh, whoever's there, you read this part and you read this little part. You'd be the, like the little day player parts that hadn't been assigned yet to anybody. And I understand why he wanted an audience for the, the have the script read, an audience outside of just right. the writers that wrote it and the actors. You want to gauge like how many laughs you get. And that's really smart in terms of getting feedback for the initial script. Yeah. It also makes the crew feel like a bigger part of the show. You know, that's right. I got to watch the evolution of an episode from the table read to watching it on TV. And I never had that experience before. Yeah. No one has brought that up, but I think that's a really good point. I think that there's a, there's a preciousness that we did not have on that show. So what I mean by that is I think that showrunners bosses are trying to protect writers. And if, if something doesn't quite work, they want to, let them work that out almost in private or in as, you know, as right. close to private as possible with people reading it. And in that aspect, it becomes way more presentational in a way, mm -hmm. even, even the delivery of an episode becomes much more presentational as opposed to collaborative. Right. And I feel like what you're saying is really true. No one's talked about that, but yeah, the table reads were totally open. It was completely open to, as you said, as many people who could actually just fit into yeah. the room. Yeah, and at first I remember like thinking, are they going to kick me out of here? Am I allowed to be in here? I'm like, because I would really love to watch this if I can, you know? So yeah. it's, it, it helps. It helps the camaraderie on, and the, uh, on the set. I don't know. It just makes, it makes the experience a lot more fulfilling. Yeah. The other thing that it does is it begins to get your creative energy or your thought sooner as well. Right. right? I mean, yeah. you know, sound was used quite a bit as a, as a tangible object on our show because, because of the way we shot it in yeah. this, this documentary slash mockumentary style. How did that affect your job? That aspect of how the show was shot? Well, I mean, we, we wired everybody for the most part, mostly as backup. Or if let's say we were in the bullpen and we're going to zoom over to accounting, which is you know, generally the farthest away corner, right? You know, I can't swing over there and and boom, obviously. And basically, yeah. It, honestly, it started the trend of having to wire every actor on set all the time because every show that I've worked on since The Office, that's what they do. And prior to The Office, we basically never wired anyone unless it was a really wide shot or like a walk and talk down some narrow hallway, or, you know, there was some physical reason why we couldn't boom it. But because of the office, it became the norm 
In fact, we had to buy a whole new recording system called a Diva 16 that would have 16 tracks on it so that we could put all the actors on their own tracks. It really, it started this big thing. And then when they started up Parks and Rec, the guys uh, from there came over to see what we were doing so they could set it up on that show. Similar with uh, Modern Family and like all the other shows that were kind of inspired by our show, you know, they needed to do the sound the same way. And so from then on, I can say every single show I've done, I have to have a multi-track recorder with a mix on one track and every individual actor on their own track after that. Wow. And it was never like that prior to The Office. So that's one thing we did to accommodate the documentary thing that ended up being a, a trend. Right. I, it's so funny you bring that up. I think, as you say, it was a progression. And I think that there were sometimes, I haven't thought about this in years, there were some times when you thought, oh, they're not going over to accounting. They're not going to swing <laughs> over to accounting right, on this right, thing. Right. <laughs> and, and, sh- and sure enough, they would. Baumgartner would open his trap. Oh, yeah. But I would keep my eye on you. See, I, I would watch you. <laughs> I could tell after a while, like, okay, I know what's going to happen here. Like, Because after a while, I didn't even memorize the scenes anymore. Like, I just would read them once in the morning and be like, okay, I got it. And then right. you just watch people's faces or I'd watch Matt you know, interact with you, or I could just tell from the dialogue, like, okay, Kevin's definitely going to react to this, you know? And so, (laughs) and I would tell Ben in the mic, I'd be like, Hey Ben, Kevin's probably going to do something after this, you know, (laughs) or John is going to do something or whatever. And, uh, you know, after a while we had it down and we could just kind of predict, and it was fun to predict what was going to happen. Yeah. No, but I, I, it reminded me of just sometimes maybe we would do, you know, a final rehearsal or do the first take. And then here, here would carbone would come in yeah. and wiring me up when it was not, not an expected yeah. moment. Yeah. I would tell him like, oh, get in there and wire him. Something's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So one thing I wanted to talk to you about significant sound moments on the show. And what I mean by that we affectionately call it sound or no sound. Right. And a couple of moments that that stick out. One is the proposal. I remember between that. Jim and Pam. Now, <laughs> were you a part of that discussion? Uh, I don't think it was a big part of it, but I do remember Greg asking me my opinion. First of all, I've heard the original story from Dave Rogers, who I think just on a fluke, he just showed him a version of it. He's like, oh, well, we could do it like this. And then he played it for him with no sound. And then it turned into this like huge week long or two week long thing, this big debate of right. are we going to do this sound or not. But my opinion was whether or not you use the sound should be determined by how wide the shot was. I was like, look, if you're going to play the proposal in a big giant wide shot, then it won't be such a big deal to not hear the sound because from a documentary point of view, the audience will think, well, they're too far away. They didn't have their wires on or whatever. And you're going to see the traffic going right front of the thing and you're going to hear that and you can tell what's going on but if you're going to be tight in and you don't have the sound it's going to look like a mistake so that was my feeling i was like so if you're showing their tight shots or whatever or or from the chest up then you got to use the sound because otherwise it's just going to be distracting and look weird but i know ultimately they went with the sound and i know it was like the decision was made at the last minute and uh if you talk to eric (laughs) colgen He's the, was the post supervisor on that. And I still work with him all the time. And I know he, he has this story where he has both tapes, one in each hand, 
and they're like standing in, in front, like in front of Greg's house or or in front of the studio or somewhere, and they're like, "All right, dude, which one is it going to be? You got to decide right now." <laughs> I'm glad he decided on the the sound, though. I think that was more satisfying for the fans. Yeah. So I've had a lot of people talk to me about mistakes being okay, mm-hmm. really leaning into the realism of the characters that existed in this real time and space in Dunder Mifflin and not wanting to have hair and makeup people sort of constantly coming in and adjusting, you know, small pieces of hair or whatever. Right. Was there anything in terms of sound that was different on this show? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially early on, I think that they were more on board with that idea earlier on in the show. And then as the years went on, we maybe tried to perfect it a little more. But certainly a boom could be in the shot. And I think there are some moments in the second and third season when you see the boom in the shot. Mm-hmm. And people didn't necessarily have to be right on mic, you know, or be perfectly mic'd. It could sound off or it could sound far away, especially if the person was far away, you know, because on a scripted show, well, this was a scripted show, but on a real scripted show, <laughs> your job is to get everything perfectly and clean. Yes. And then let post decide do we want this to sound far away? You know, and then they change it and alter it to make it sound however they want it creatively. But uh, we were able to kind of just do that in real time. If, okay, well, we didn't have enough time to mic him and he's running in from this. So we'll just, I'll just cue the boom over that way. And whatever it sounds like is what it sounds like. So you definitely have more freedom in that sense. Right. Obviously, one of the huge moments on the show, Steve's final goodbye mm-hmm. and him taking off the mic to go into the airport. Can you talk to me a little bit about that, how that was achieved and, and, and your role in that? Sure. Well, we, we had, so Greg came over and we talked about a couple of different ways to do it. And we even discussed the possibility of Steve handing me the pack. And then I like show it to the camera and turn it off. And we watch the light flicker off, like sort of as like a dramatic kind of thing. Right. We didn't do that, but we talked about it. And then in a couple of takes, I know Matt tilted down and you could see my hand come in and him hand the, uh, the mic to me when he takes it off. Right. Um, but that was, it was a sad day, you know, I mean, that whole period was just a blubber fest like, for, for everybody. Yeah. You know, and then we had to go through it again when the show ended. So it was like two, <laughs> Not two that times much longer, <laughs> you know, two years later, we all had to cry every day for a whole week. Yeah. But yeah, that was, uh, that was a big day. You know, it was sad emotionally and to, and just to be there. And I'm he when you see him reach off camera, he hands it to me. So which is kind of a neat moment. I'm like, oh, he's handing that to me. I'm standing right there. And he's gone. And he's gone. He walks out. And you can still kind of hear like muffled, you know, airport noises, which I presumably I guess are for the boom. In a real world, you would still hear the boom and and you would hear them a little bit too, although they were kind of far away. But I still like what they did, you know, to make it just more dramatic i guess yeah bean dad the dress 30 to 50 feral hogs if you knew what any of those were you spend too much time online and hey i do too 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? 
I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The way that our show was shot, and I think part of it was the spontaneous way at times the camera moved around, which then obviously made you have to move around. I mean, 
I don't think gymnastics is an exaggeration. I mean, we talked already about you laying on top of the vending yeah. machines to be able to get down. Right. But when the camera was going to swing, you had to swing out of the way. Yeah. So you wouldn't be in the shot. No. I mean, we, we would call it like a dance, basically. And for the most part, it was just the three of us, just me and uh, Matt and Randall. And uh, we're just like, okay, you're going to stand here. Then I'm going to stand here. Then he'll say this and you walk over here. And then he does this and I walk over there. And then we, and we would just work out this dance and memorize it basically and do it three or four times. Then everybody, the real people come in and then we do it like 15 times <laughs> and then we'd move on to the next one. Yeah. You know, it was super fun. And then sometimes I could be there if they're whipping through me. Right. You can't tell I'm there. Right. You know, so there's probably lots of spots on lots of episodes where I'm in the whip or the other camera is in the whip. Or Ken Quapis is in the whip, sitting in the corner at a little monitor with Veda, <laughs> you know? Or, right. But, I mean, a lot of times it was just the three of us on that set, the only crew people there, you know? Right. Did that give you a closer or different relationship with the actors than you've had on other shows? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, just the mere situation of, of all of us being in that room all day for, you know, eight months or, or whatever it is. I mean, you spent more time with each other than with our families and our spouses, right. you know, and uh, so that, that situation alone makes you closer. Yeah. But also just the intimacy of, of the nature of how we shoot and the communication, you know, that's like, okay, so you're going to, you're going to be here and then you want to walk here and we got to, you know, we just got to stay out of each other's way and let each other do our job so the scene can happen. Right. It isn't necessary to communicate that much on a on a regular working set. You can kind of be hands off and just do your job. But that wasn't necessarily true on the office. You know, we kind of had to right. really talk to each other. Yeah, it's occurring to me now, maybe stronger sitting here talking with you again. I don't recall any other job that I've had where without talking to a director or a writer or a producer that I would have conversations with sound you right. or camera Matt or Randall and right. say, Hey, I'm going to do this. Make sure you have me. <laughs> right? right. That right. doesn't happen. No, and with you happen. not saying like, let me run that by the director or <laughs> no, we just, we just did we just it. Did it. Cause we were going to do it a million times anyway. Yeah. It's occurring to me right now. How <laughs> strange that is. I know. Deciding our own rules as it goes along. Yeah, and the energy of that is is really kind of intoxicating and fun. It just made it so much fun to be there. Like I, I love watching that opening. I think it's is it the fourth season where uh, Ed is in the elevator and they're doing that song that no 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 lip dub. Is they that the it. opening yeah. fourth season? That day was so much fun, and yeah. all we did was that scene. We didn't do anything else that day. I think we wrapped at two o'clock. Just, that was so, like just to watch that is just God. That was a, just a super super fun day, and I, I get that feeling a lot when I watch the show. Yeah, and my kids watch it now too, which is great. Oh, they do. Yeah, yeah. My son's really into it. He's thirteen. That sounds right. Yeah, and he's uh, he's definitely into it. You know, we watch that and The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> well, those are two good choices. Yeah. I'll give you that. Both stamped with Greg Daniels. Right. That's true. So you appeared on the show as many of our crew members did mm -hmm. customer loyalty. You were a dad, angry dad, I think, or annoyed dad, sitting next to, uh, to Pam there at CC's recital. 
how was yeah. that being on camera for you? Are you glad you did it? Oh yeah. That was super fun. And that stemmed from, you know, the whole introducing the boom operator as a character and bringing in Chris Diamondopoulos and me auditioning to play myself and oh. uh, which I got to do. So I had an audition in front of Greg and Allison Jones and read with Jenna Fisher and, you know, I'm not an actor, but uh, Greg really wanted me to do it. And and I, I was like, well, I'll try it. You know, we'll see how it goes. And uh, and they ultimately uh, dis- decided to hire an actual actor, which was right. probably wise. <laughs> right. But sort of as a as a joke, I think, to the fans and as a thank you to me for like going along with everything, they gave me a little part in that same episode, the episode where they introduced him. Right. And uh, oh, it was great, you know. That's awesome. Yeah, so you're Brian Whittle, character on the show, uh-huh. real-life person, uh, the boom operator, as you said, played by Chris. Do you know how that idea came about? Were you involved in discussions? So you were asked to audition for it, but when did you become aware that that was going to be kind of a, a signature moment in the last season? The writers had been talking about it for at least a few weeks before that, maybe even a month. They, I think for a long time, had wanted someone from the crew to step through and be part of the show. Why they chose the boom operator, I, I don't know. I'm imagining because if it had been a camera person, then they have to have a moment where they put down the camera or right. hand the camera to someone and they walk over. So there'd be like that sort of uh, interruption in the screen. But I think they thought, well, the boom guy can just walk on and it wouldn't be, wouldn't disrupt anything. Right. You know, so maybe that's why they picked him. But yeah, they were I, talking for a long time about what the story was going to be, how he was going to be, what he was going to be about. And they would mention it to me on the set, you know, oh, we're upstairs talking about you and what what's going to happen with your thing. And so and then eventually uh, they figured it out and they wrote out some scripts and Greg asked me to, to audition for it. You told me after the office, you you worked with Chris Diamantopoulos on Silicon Valley. Right. Did you teach him? how to hold the boom or were there aspects of, of, uh, you know, of him creating that character that you talked to him in that moment or no? Yeah. I mean, I just told him he actually had like a different rig on. He had what's called an ENG setup, which a documentary person would have, you know, the thing you wear on your shoulder that you see uh, news people have or sports people. Okay. And uh, I just, you know, just showed him how to wear it and how to, how to hold it. So it looked like he knew what he was doing. Uh, I don't think there were too many shots of him actually working as a sound man. He just wearing you know, <laughs> no, stuff and <laughs> came in. So it wasn't super important, but, uh, but yeah, he was cool. How do you feel about the fact that it was you, your name that, you know, tried to ruin one of the greatest love stories in television history? I mean, <laughs> how does that make you feel today? Uh, it makes me feel great because <laughs> I got to be, uh, have a character named after me on the show. <laughs> yeah, you could awesome. have been the most evil person there. It's still cool. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, yeah. since the office, you've done a lot of work with Mindy Kaling, right? I have. You yeah. worked on the Mindy project, sex lies of college girls. She had another little show called champions that lasted for one season. We did that one also. Right. You, you enjoy working with her. Yeah, it's been great. We did, I think, six, five or six seasons of uh, the Mindy Project. Right. And that's where I got to move up to Sound Mixer. So that was great because I don't have to hold the boom over my head anymore. <laughs> and then we went right into her champion show after that. And then I did, yeah, I did uh, Sex Lives last year, the pilot. And, awesome. Uh, but I've done some of Jenna's shows too. I, or just, I did Splitting Up Together with Jenna. Okay. Holland also. I love when our crew, it, there's nothing like it showing up somewhere and there's the guys. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> anyway, do you have any any favorite moments from the set of The Office that you remember? Favorite moments? Yeah. Um, yeah, I have a bunch. I mean, the hardest I ever laughed, and I broke all the time on on you the did. set. Yes, uh, it was probably the uh, the same for many. Is the the Christmas episode where you're sitting on Steve's lap? Yeah. I mean, he's like, just say some toys, just say some toys. <laughs> I mean that. And plus I have the boom over my head. So I'm like this and I'm in a really uncomfortable physical position <laughs> and it's way out really long. I'm have the boom over the two of you. Yeah. And I'm just, and everybody, everybody is breaking all over the whole bullpen. Yeah. And, uh, and it, Oh God, it was so funny. It's <laughs> And I'm like shaking and trying to hold the thing and not drop it. Well, I realized that you were probably the only other person that could hear because you had the mics on and you were there booming it. But I've said to people afterward, everyone who was laughing, they don't even know the half of it because there was a sound that he made very small mm -hmm. that the mics obviously could pick up. But at the moment I sat uh -huh. down, he made this sound. <laughs> And yeah. <laughs> it slayed me every time. Now, were you were you really like sitting on his lap, putting all your weight on him, or were you kind of like? Yeah, but by the way, and I just did this for some other dumb bit too. He looked at me after, and he's like, "It's not even heavy. It's not. It when you sit on someone's <laughs> lap, it is not that. I promise. Next no, time not. I see you, I'm gonna it's sit on bad. your lap, and we're gonna we're gonna okay. try it out." <laughs> But he was like, no, it's not that. But, oh, no, he he made it seem like it was. Oh, he sure did. Well, yeah, who wouldn't? I mean, that's – that. Yeah, you got to do that. He oh. did. I mean, he nailed it. He nailed it, it was it was perfect. He, he nailed most everything. Yeah, he really um, did. He was amazing. You mentioned it before, the tears of the finale. When you found out that the show was ending, how was that for you? Well, we all, I think we suspected it was coming. And uh, I, you might have been there when that time Greg came onto the bus. Mm -hmm. Remember we were shooting on that bus? Yes. And he stepped on and he said, hey, I just want to tell you guys it's going to be announced on deadline in like 10 minutes. He's like, just so you hear it from me, this is going to be our last season. And then he made a comment because there were still several episodes left. Mm -hmm. And he made a comment. He's like, so he says, now that we know this early on, we can really savor it. Right which was a really great way to look at it because it was sad, but it was like, okay, at least we know now it's not going to be abrupt. And we're just going to, you know, like some, some shows you're like, Oh, we're done. Go home. Right. You know? And, uh, but, but on this show, it's like, we knew, okay, we've got five, six, whatever was left episodes and we can really just come into work every day and really just love it, you know, until it's over. Yeah. But yeah, it was sad. It was sad. I mean, you were there, you remember it was like every time we're on a set, it's like, Oh, oh this is the last time we're going to shoot in the annex with this person standing here and this oh boy and then we and then every setup was like this is the last time we're doing this scenario and this is the last time we're doing this right one. right and it just it was just went on and on and every scene someone would break it just we ugh. spent like 14 days also like shooting the yeah. <laughs> the finale and right that finale, we actually went to a ton of weird locations. There was the right. farm, and yeah. there was Kevin's bar, right. and there was like the Q and A thing, and you know oh, all yeah, these weird yeah, locations yeah. which we never did. And so it was like we were away for like seven, eight days, mm -hmm. and then we went back and kind of did you right. know the very end. 
um, to finish it off, yeah. which I think was always a great idea. Yeah, it was. It was right up till the end. Right up to the end. Yeah, right up to, like to the rap party. Yeah, like it was like it was. We went to the rap party right after we wrapped on Saturday. Oh, that's and right. we were like two hours late. Yeah, <laughs> we were late to our own no, rap party. End. That sounds like us. Yeah, that sounds like us. <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, I love so much of what you have talked to me about today, and the unique collaboration that we had between the cast and the crew and the writers and the producers and is really a key ingredient, I think, to why the show has endured and how it's thrived now, seven, eight years later. Yeah. Um, I'll ask you what I've asked everyone. Why do you think the show now is bigger than it was when we were working on it? What do you think the secret sauce is? Um, well, the, the main reason is, is that it's funny, but the, the sort of unifying reason is I think it's just because it's, it's just very real while at the same time being outlandish. You know, everybody has these weird people they work with and, you know, these people that can be blown up into caricatures. And that's what this show does. It just blows up these people you already know into the weird people that you sort of make fun of them for already, whether they're that extreme or not. Right. And I think everybody connects with that. Also, there's just nothing else like it right now, probably. And there never will be again. TV's totally different now. We don't have... 26 episodes and it's not on at the same time and we don't all watch it together as a country and it's just you know it's just a very different thing and that was like maybe the last really great great television show of that era and uh i think that's why people love it brian thank you so much it's so good to see you great to see you too thanks for coming and talking to me and uh, and you will live forever brian whittle <laughs> the man so who tried to break up jim and pam ladies and gentlemen <laughs> thanks buddy sure thank you it was a great time brian thank you so much I, now, and i truly meant what i said you will live forever both as brian whittle the character but also you the real Brian Whittle, office alum, sound genius, and the boom operator who didn't break up one couple. Not even one. You broke up nobody, my friend. So thank you for coming on. And of course, this isn't the end. I will be back next week for another episode of The Office Deep Dive. This one, well, with another love interest of Pam, actually. David Denman, a.k.a. Roy. Get excited. And, of course, uh, coming soon, my new podcast, Off the Beat. More stories, more memories, more everything. I'm going to miss you this week, all right? I hope you'll miss me, but know that I will see you soon. The Office Deep Dive is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Lang Lee. Our producers are Emily Carr and Diego Tapia, and our intern is Hannah Harris. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by my great friend Creed Bratton, and the episode was mixed by Seth Olansky.
Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.